we've been in a series called You Asked For It. And if you're here for the first time, let me kind of get you caught up because it's been one of our better series. And matter of fact, after these next two to three weeks, we are going to stop the You Asked For It series to bring it back in the spring because there were so many responses of saying, I want to know what the Bible says about this. Well, we started with the subject of fear. And we realized that the Bible, I think, addresses the subject of fear over 350 times and 70 specific times says, do not be afraid. And the reason we don't have to be afraid is that we come to the knowledge that God is with us. And then after, while we were teaching the two weeks of fear, you guys participated. That's why we call you asked for it. You voted on a couple of different subjects of what you wanted the Bible, or you wanted to know what the Bible said about certain subjects. And you picked flesh versus spirit. And what we've done for the last two weeks is to make you aware that your flesh is the original operating system in which drove your life. And your flesh was not always trustworthy because your flesh was always motivated by emotions. And so it would take you and it, it was almost impossible for your flesh to resist the temptation of sin. But then you met Jesus and through the power of the cross of Calvary, you were transformed. And that transformation not only forgave you of your sins, but gave you a new operating system that now you are led by the Holy Spirit. And even though you still live in the flesh, and that means we still fall short, when we allow the authority of our lives to be governed and driven by the power of the Holy Spirit, rooted in Christ, God-centered, then He touches the world. And our life produces the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, and peace. And you say, well, Pastor, I'm good at love. I love a lot of people. But yeah, that, is, can, that type of love can be secured in your flesh. But to love your enemy... You need to have the help of the Holy Spirit. Can somebody say amen? So today we're going to start a, at least a two-week, I think I could squeeze it into two, but maybe three, on the subject of forgiveness. Now it's a tough subject and most of the time pastors don't want to really open up the top of this can, but it's important for us through the power of Scripture to understand what God says about this subject. Because it is one of the, the most important subjects of our faith walk. So if you would today, let's bow our heads one more time. And let's pray for God's uh, anointing to be upon the teaching today. Father, I ask you today to touch our minds and hearts with the power of your word. I ask that, Father, that you move upon us in such a way that touches our, our lives, that makes us different than when we walked in this building. Father, we don't want to just feel you. We, we, we're not satisfied with the goosebumps. We're not satisfied with singing until we feel it. Father, what we need and now is the authority of your word to secure what we've already felt. To secure the healing, to secure the deliverance, to secure the moment that we know that we've been set free. And I give you the praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Matt, if you'll give me just a little more off, I'm running out of voice from first service. Thank you. One of the things that you have to remember is that this document we call the Bible is easily explained as being divided into something that we know as, as the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so let me talk about what the Old Testament starts to say about the subject of forgiveness. Most of the time in the Old Testament... Forgiveness is mentioned as a group activity. It is under the, the, uh, the process of securing atonement 
are getting forgiveness of sin as a group, like the nation of Israel. They would fall into fall prey many times to the sin of idolatry, and then they would need to be atoned for. And so the sacrificial system was put in place by the Levitical law that said that you would go to the priesthood and you would offer sacrifice, normally a goat, a lamb, a dove, something to that nature, and they, they would then shed blood on an altar. Once a year, the high priest would go into the holies of holies, taking the blood of sacrifice, and they would go and apply that blood to the mercy seat to atone for the sins of a nation. There is one place in the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 45 that really deals with the forgiveness as a subject as an individual. I'm going to preach about that individual next week. But let me just give you a highlight. His name is Joseph. Joseph was probably sold uh, as a slave by his brothers at the age of somewhere between 14, 15, or 16 years of age. He is then processed as a commodity. He is now a slave and, an, uh, and, and bought by an owner, and that owner starts to trade the commodity known as Joseph, and Joseph ends up in a man's house named Potiphar. Potiphar is a powerful man in the Egyptian uh, government and he has seen the favor of God upon Joseph and he puts Joseph in a position of authority over his household. And Joseph does him a good job. The problem is, is Joseph, or Potiphar's wife is attracted to Joseph. And she wants more than just him working, being a good man. And she tries to seduce him. And in his moment of righteousness where he resists the temptation of the seduction, all of a sudden he tries to flee. And when he tries to flee, she grabs onto him. Now that's wanting stuff pretty bad, right? <laughs> I can make a lot of jokes there. Probably not the place. Michelle's sick. I can make anything up I wanted like... You know, <laughs> but we might have just move on. She grabs him his coat. He prevails in keeping his character. The problem is, is she accuses him falsely of a crime. That crime produces a 12-year prison sentence, which after the interpretation of a couple of dreams, he ends up being vice president of the known world. Only second in command, to, only Pharaoh is above him. And his brothers show up for help. We're going to learn about the details of that next week. But most of the time the Old Testament is talking, when it talks about the subject of forgiveness, talking about this atonement. But then all of a sudden you get to the New Testament and all of a sudden it goes from Malachi to Matthew. Now you've got Jesus involved. Now Jesus is going to become the, the replacement or the fulfillment of the law and replace the blood of lambs, goats, and doves. No longer were we going to have to do that. But he was going to become the sinless Lamb of God once and for all to shed his blood on a, on a cross and then by the power of the Holy Spirit resurrect from the dead that you and I might have eternal life and you and I might be transformed formed into his likeness and in his image and that we can become the sons and daughters of God. Again, can somebody say amen? And so when this starts to happen, 
He goes and he picks, some, you know, Jesus is now on the stage. He picks his disciples and we don't have time to really go into how the, the selection process other than you need to know he picked regular people. He really didn't pick the people that other people would have picked. He picked people that were kind of flawed, kind of messed up and, and not so perfect and that his glory would be revealed through such a, a, a person's life. And so one of these people, his name is Peter. He's a fisherman. I like him. I like to fish. I consider myself a fisherman. Um, that's debatable. But, you know, he's got those rough edges. He lived around the, uh, the, the, the docks. He was a sailor. That means he talked like a sailor. So he had a language problem that the Bible verifies. And he's just not, he doesn't, he's not refined. And this is what happens. He decides when he is about to talk to Jesus about the subject of for, uh, forgiveness, he's going to go the extra step and he wants an attaboy. He wants a pat on the back. He's like, I'm going to do something that's going to shock even Jesus and I'm going to just put myself out there. And he says, Master, concerning the subject of forgiveness, I think that it would be a good uh, measure if we started forgiving people seven times a day. I think I'm good enough to forgive the person that would do me wrong and offend me seven times in one day. And he is waiting. I could just see his face like, man, yo. I, he was probably going to look at Jesus and hope that Jesus would say, Peter, you're incredible. You know what? Most people have a hard time forgiving one thing. But you being so compassionate and so merciful, seven times, brother, come give me a high five. Come on, get up here with me. Come on, you, you have blessed the heart of God. No, that's not what happened at all. He says, Peter, I tell you what, let's start with your position. But let me give you a, another step. It's not seven times a day, but why don't we do it seven times 70 a day? And it goes something like this. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall I, my, my brother sin against me? And I forgive him till seven times. And Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. 490 times a day I am now supposed to forgive the offender that has offended me. Huh. How do I do that? He doesn't even stop there. He goes into a discussion, a teaching, to where he's now going to teach his disciples how to pray. It's known as the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to start it, and I'd like for us to pray it together. If you don't know it, do what you do in the car when you sing songs. Just go, you know, to the tune. So here we go. Our Father, which art in heaven. But deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. Can somebody say amen? amen? The problem with prayer is for us to really have the authority in prayer. It has to become more than words we say. The words we say have to become actions we do. See, everybody is 
perfectly fine with the Lord's Prayer when we are talking about our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Man, we can wrap our heads around God being much more than we, what we can be. And we, we want to reverence the acknowledgement of His sovereignty. But when the prayer continues... See, 30-something years ago, I had to look in the face of a young lady that was then Michelle Sexton. And she was standing there in, in, a, in front of a church uh, building that her dad had built, which had passed away when she was 12. And here's this young man. He is toned. He is tan. He has long hair. No woman in their right mind wouldn't want to be where she is. No, that's not the case at all. I was a mess. But we did something and we said something to each other called vows. You know what those vows were? Nothing but hollow words. We kissed and then we had to go live them. That's where they become important. See, they were just words in the ceremony, but 30-something years later, it has kept us together. It has secured our relationship. It has maintained that I would remain obedient to the promises that I made in front of God and before that whole congregation to that woman and her to me. And that is the place where many of us, we want to pray the prayer, but do you want to do what the prayer requires? See, for us to really understand that forgiveness in the Greek and all of the New Testament when it is uh, rendered and defined, it is a Greek term that means the forgiveness of a financial debt. That means that we that the Bible was telling us about what, uh, what the problem was with a, a credit card because the interest would become so great that you couldn't pay it. And that was our sin debt. We could not pay our sin debt. It was more than our good deeds. It was more than our good thoughts. It was more than our good intentions. It was more than we could ever pay. <coughs> we couldn't give enough. So we had to be forgiven of a debt that we could not pay. And Jesus paid that sin debt for us. And He shed His blood once and for all that the finished work of Christ could prepare us and transform us into the men and women that we are today. And some of you will say, well, Pastor, what does that have to do? Did you realize that in that prayer He said that, I, that you are to forgive those, uh, you are to ask for forgiveness of your trespasses and now the, the subject of forgiveness is now going past you but now is connected to people you need to forgive. He says, ask for God the Father to forgive you of your trespasses as you forgive those that have debts that you need to settle. Oh, wait a minute. I, I don't know if I want to participate in that, Pastor. See, what we have to do is look at your neighbor and tell them, stay at least two weeks. Because we got to find out today what, forget, what the subject of forgiveness really is and what it is really not. And we're going to only deal with what it is today and we're going to talk about what it's not next week because I'll just give you a hint. Forgiveness is not forgetting. You can't forget. Matter of fact, a lot of people say the Bible says forgive and forget. No, it doesn't. It's not in there. Well, wait a minute. See, what we have to understand is one... We have a need because everybody in this room has had need of forgiveness. 
Look at such scriptures like Romans. Romans tells us, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible tells us in Matthew 26 and 28, says, For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. How many of you have prayed the prayer? You can say it out loud to get saved. You have prayed the prayer and asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins. Say amen. amen. A lot of you. Since that prayer, how many of you have sinned? I have. Well, wait a minute. I thought the prayer made me perfect. No. It put you in right standing because he was perfect. So now, you mean to tell me there's others like me that have prayed the prayer and asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins and we've messed up along the way? How many of you just said amen because you prayed the prayer? Now say amen if you have fallen short of the glory of God since you prayed. Amen. If you're by somebody that did not say amen, either one of two things. Either they've never been saved or they lie. <laughs> one of the two. You say, well, pastor, I don't know if I'm like you. You said that you've fallen short since that. So did the apostle Paul. The apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7 says, the thing that I want to do, I don't do. And the thing that I don't want to do, the thing that I very hate to do, I find myself doing. See, when you realize that you, everybody loves forgiveness when they think that they have for, uh, offended their Heavenly Father. The problem with that prayer is it doesn't stop there. See, we, we stop at the amen, but Jesus kept talking. It, start, it stops in verse 13, but listen to verse 14. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. Oh, wait a minute. I thought all I had to do was ask for the forgiveness of my sins. I didn't know there were strings attached. There is. See, for too long, we've allowed culture to manipulate how we view the Bible. Because we've always looked at what we think the Bible should say instead of what it really does say. And so what we think it should say is that we have a right to measure what has been done to us so we can dole out the right kind of, of opportunity for the correct forgiveness that way that we will get a pound of flesh for the pound of offense. But the Bible says, wait a minute, I forgave you all of those times. And you needed me to forgive you. I remember, I've knelt down and, and I'm not going to put this on you. This is going to be personal. I've knelt down and I've said, God, please, I ask you to forgive me. And if you forgive me this time, I will never do it again. Only to find myself right back where I promised I would never be. Anybody else pray that way? Aren't you glad that He still forgives you? Crazy love. But yet now, Scripture is telling us the only way that He can forgive you is if you forgive someone else. See, what forgiveness? Why would God make such a command? He knows the opposite of forgiveness is unforgiveness. Unforgiveness leads to bitterness, and bitterness will destroy you. It puts you in a prison. Even medically, doctors will tell you, you can't live in the type of health that you deserve with bitterness and unforgiveness in your life. 
They'll tell you to get rid of it. Why? Because once we get offended and once we take note of that offense and we decide that we have the right, what forgiveness is, is a command. It's not an option. I'm going to say that again. Forgiveness is a command according to Scripture, not an option that you've got the privilege of relegating how you forgive. Huh. That's a little bumpy. Why would God do that to me? God, you know, what, you know what they did. You know what they said. You know how they acted. You know how they abused. And now I've got to forgive them if you forgive me. That doesn't seem fair. Yeah, forgiveness is never based on the foundation of fairness because to be fair to you... See, I never want God to view me through the lens of judgment because uh, or justice because my justice... If He was just against me, I would never measure up because I could never be good enough and I don't want Him to be just. I want Him to be merciful. But most of the time when we are wanting to dole out forgiveness, we want justice. We want them to feel what we felt. The problem with your unforgiveness and your bitterness is most of the time you're the only one keeping score. Well, Pastor, you don't know about the abuse. Guess what? If the abuser really cared about you, they wouldn't have abused you. So what makes you think that you're hurting them by not talking to them? What thinks you that your day being ruined because you hear their name? They're probably living life. As cruel as it sounds, as, as unfair as it sounds, they're probably just, they probably haven't thought, given a second thought to you. And every day that you are wrapped in the moment of unforgiveness and bitterness, it changed you to something that happened yesterday. To a wound that's deep and real. And God has a better plan than you trying to keep score and keeping that wound open. I couldn't have asked Bunker to testify on a better day because unforgiveness is that unhealed wound that never heals. And here we are. Well, what do we do? See, when Peter was asking Jesus, Amy, you could get ready. When Peter was asking Jesus, hey, will it be okay? Will I be pretty super spiritual if I forgive somebody seven times today? And Jesus throws that curveball at him and says, nah, 70 times seven. It doesn't stop there. Listen to the scripture that continues. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Touch your neighbor and say a million dollars. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that they had and the payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, Have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. That means he settled it. Not that he was going to put him on a payment plan. He forgave it. Huh. When that same servant went out and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Look at your neighbor and say 38 bucks. Seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. 
So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me. I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported it to their master and that what had taken place. And this master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from his heart. That scripture doesn't get much airtime, But oh how freeing it could be. See, God knew He needed to make it a command because He knew you would try to dole it out as you saw justice. And how you dole it out keeps the unforgiveness in your heart and you become the only one in the prison. And you become bitter and hard. Not remembering how soft God was was towards you. You ever noticed... Why would God do this? I'm going to do my best. We've tried to run wire. I hope this microphone stays up. You ever notice that God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, navigates you to the same place all the time until you deal with it? You think He'll forget about it. So you walk around and you think you've finally gotten away from it. But lo and behold, you've gone in a big circle and the Holy Spirit has you right in front of that door again in your heart that you don't let anybody in. Because he knew that forgiveness could open up every door you've got closed. Every door you keep locked. Every door that you have to keep the weight of the keys in your pocket saying, I hope nobody sees that door in me. Hope, hope that stays closed because of it. If, see, forgiveness is not forgetting. I'm going I'm to rush this a little bit. It's being delivered from the pain. And he knows that if you would ever accept the power of his forgiveness of your sins, it sets a precedent for you to trust him enough to let him behind that door that he could forgive you of the wounds somebody else called. Or not forgive you, but deliver you from the pain of the wounds somebody else calls. The problem is, is you won't never let him in because you ain't ready to forgive. And here we stand in front of that door of our lives over and over again remembering and being bound to our past because our past gets, keeps getting dragged into our present because we have a chain holding us back there to when it happened. And even at today, I could be smiling, I hear the person's name, and my day goes down the tubes. I got a scar right here I'm going to mention next week. It goes from one side of my chin to the other. It used to be really pink, and that's why I grew the beard for the first time. Now it's okay. It looks like I've got character. <laughs> I remember when I fell, and I remember how I got that scar. My teeth went through my, my chin, and it hurt really bad. But it don't hurt. To, I got a scar, and I remember it, but it don't hurt me today. And God wants you to know that through the power of forgiveness, you may walk away with a scar, but you don't have to take the pain. What would be different today? What freedom could be found if we forgive? 
what door could be opened if we trust the one that forgave us of our sins to walk behind the closed door that stays locked all the time to finally set us free. See, forgiveness doesn't mean I have to ask the person to dinner. It doesn't mean that I have to justify their bad behavior. It just means that I got to quit keeping score and I got to release that person to be them and let me be me. And then a God that is so powerful enough to take my sins can walk behind that door and free me from what hurt me.